0: The HEAL podcast has been created to explore my favorite ingredients for a long-term, sustainable, healthy human experience. We take an informed look into topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanding consciousness. HEAL stands for Healthy Eating a Living. So why not sit back, relax, be present, and enjoy the conversations about this unique gift we are all given called LIFE. If you feel this podcast has resonated with you, please feel free to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, as the gift of knowledge is something wondrous. Thank you for your open hearts and minds. Alrighty, let's get into some delicious healing. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. AIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Kelly Bergen, MD, is a holistic women's health psychiatrist, author of the New York Times best selling book, A Mind of Your Own, the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College and has a BS from MIT in systems neuroscience. She is board certified in psychiatry, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine and is specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. She is on the board of Green Med Info, Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation, Functional Medicine University, Pathways to Family Wellness, Mind Foundation, SXSW Wellness. Chickasaw Nation Wellness and the peer-reviewed index journal Alternative Therapies in Health and Medicine. She is Medical Director for Fearless Parent and a founding member of Health Freedom Action. She is a certified KRI Kundalini Yoga teacher and a mother of two. Her latest book is titled Own Yourself and is a wonderful read. For more information about Kelly Brogan, please visit her website kellybroganmd.com. K-E-L-L-Y B-R-O-G-A-N-M-D dot com. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast for the second time. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's great to connect with you. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: So many people loved our original podcast and it certainly opened up a lot of eyes and I got a lot of feedback from it. And In between that, we've actually had the opportunity to Mm -hmm. meet again in person for the first time, which was a, a wonderful experience over in Florida in your hometowns. And Thank you for that opportunity as well.
1: That felt, I'm very excited for what you're up to because that felt like a magical interview. I remember it distinctly for its its energy.
0: Yeah, we're probably a year away from um, working that into the next film. Uh, we're just finishing off the cannabis film at the moment. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing that interview with people for the third film, if I get it up and running, which no doubt we will. But, um, you will, you will. <laughs>
1: unstoppable take, at this point.
0: These things take time. but today. I wanted to congratulate you on your on your newest book, "Own Yourself," and that must feel wonderful to have that that body of work out into the out into the universe.
1: You know, it's interesting. I was reflecting today because the, it's only been out a couple of days, but there's been uh, a lot of organic, kind of like citizen, boots on the ground um, support. Because as you know, I rely on folks like you and intrepid thinkers who are totally independent of mainstream media to get the word out. But it's felt really, I don't know, I feel... Like I'm a part of something beautiful that's happening, and it's it's a very different energy than uh, my first book, which was you know published in 2016, and I was really angry at the time, <laughs> and it was it was there was a lot of that energy in the call to arms that you know ultimately led to a lot of its success and potential notoriety. But this feels different. It feels like a, there's a core that is saying no. You know, there's a core that's sort of like enough is enough of something that's not working but then there's a, a a bigger container that is saying like yes to to something that feels like we're inviting it from the cosmos into our our reality it's it's this hopefulness um, that i feel infused by so i'm pretty pretty excited about it
0: we discussed that when we were in person, actually, when we were doing that interview about how your your perception or your attitude or your behavior to healing has changed over the years. And I'd love for you to be able to recap that a little bit about, because uh, you just mentioned you were sort of in a, in a state of, I guess, um, positive anger <laughs> that yeah. was back then and that you wanted to fix everybody and help everybody because you right. you've you've got a formula that you wanted to share but right. as you said i think you said you have uh, such a small percentage of people that follow you that even go down this path and mm-hmm. and how that used to frustrate you and now you've come to i guess accept and have compassion for where people are in oh, yeah. their journeys and even yourself on your journey so you want to talk about that with us please
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was able to, through naturopathic medicine, put my Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which was my first medical diagnosis, postpartum, my, my first child, into remission, and I could see it on paper because I needed that, you know, evidence in black and white. Uh, I, this, this volcano erupted inside of me and it was uh, a righteous anger, right? It was, it was, hold on a minute, I've been paying attention, blood, sweat, and tears in my medical training trainings, probably how and why I developed Hashimoto's hmm. to begin with. And, and I never learned, you know, that you could put a chronic illness into remission and certainly not that you could do it through lifestyle change or dietary modification, which was pretty much all I had done at that point. And, you know, I had an hour of nutrition education in my entire medical school experience. And that anger was, um, it was like a feeling of betrayal, You know, because I had vested my trust into the authority of modern medicine and I felt like there was a bait and switch, you know, and it was from that energy that I wrote A Mind of Your Own and I thought, well, anyone who reads this book is never going to touch a medication, right? And they're going to dedicate their lives to coming off them, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the science is there. Why would they not? And it became clear to me that this is not about information transmission, because hmm. you know I got into some early debates, um, and you know when you're when you're a doctor who has, you know, sort of I guess gone against the grain or gone rogue in a way, you you by definition have access to more scientific data because you've accrued a whole body of knowledge that conventional consensus clinicians don't have any you know reason to encounter right so i knew the conventional science and the story it told and then i learned this whole other body of science so you know i was very ready to debate you know because i had the this sort of holster of all of my um, all of my studies to defend my new perspective and i found over and over again i was not able to convince a single person that i was right <laughs> about this and in fact I was only able to, and to this day, I remain only able to validate and support those individuals who fundamentally already believe this to be true. You know, that radical healing is possible, that there is another way that they do each of us we do have this innate capacity we have this power and it's it's just a matter of getting in touch with it so i've found that you know there there is a way for me to validate and it's through the invitation of the promise uh it's not through fighting the system and so this this book is written from that energy and also from you know the 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 yield of a lot of spiritual work I've done um, over the past several years, really trying to heal that shadowy part of me that needs to be right, needs to be in control, um, needs to force um, uh, you know outcomes, and really, you know, I've been working on coming into and foregrounding the parts of me that appreciate, you know, that we're just here to dance. We're not here to get from point A to point B. <laughs> <laughs> what a journey. Yeah, I know.
0: And, and and I love hearing this because of in I'd love to understand your journey, this emotional journey and, and do we all have to go through these sort of larger themes in our life? Do you think it's it's predestined that all of these sort of the frustrations, the anger, the resentment, the the whatever it may be, do you think it's all part of our human conditioning that and for us to evolve and let go that we have to go through this? Because I, I was reading in the back of it. The section in your book about parenthood and uh, or or peaceful parenting that there possibly is a way to avoid this if you have conscious parents to a degree. So, uh, talk me through this, especially how do how do we set this up in children from an early age to, I guess, as as parents to negate some of this. Trauma that we seem to have gone through, or is it inevitable that every human is going to experience all of these emotions and it's part of their journey?
1: Mm, I love this question. I love the questions you ask. Uh yes, I think it is inevitable. That's that's my conclusion at this point. Uh, and perhaps we will collectively evolve beyond that inevitability. But I I do think that the experience of conditional love, um, you know, I can offer to my children my love, but it is by definition going to be conditional because I have not arrived at an experience of unconditional love for myself. I'm certainly working towards that, and they they watch me do that. Um, but I can only offer the kind of love that I myself can can give my my own self. And so, the experience of conditional love or this perception of the idealized child that our parents would like us to be. Of course, the definition changes, right? So my parents might have idealized my academic achievements and my intellect um, and my, you know, sort of yang energy of getting things done. Um, And what's idealized in my household is totally different. You know, my daughter's Probably know that I have idealized, you know, uh, a spiritual perspective. There being depth and meaning and interest and in mysticism, and and you know, they probably know that I would bristle if they one day told me they were going to go to become conventional MDs. <laughs> right? So, so, and that doesn't mean that I wouldn't love them, but the idealization naturally um, leads individuals to curate elements of their personhood in order to garner acceptance and love and suppress the parts that perhaps even in their imagined life might risk abandonment or, you know, rejection. So I think this is a human um, reconciliation, you know, that we are all poised to engage. I am just not sure that all of us are going to, you know, um, nor that all of us necessarily should, because I think that, polarity needs to exist. There need to be folks who fundamentally respond to um, uncertainty, seeming chaos, or um, overwhelm, wildness, you know, through rigidity, structure, and a logical mind. And then there, there also need to be folks who respond to that through you know surrender and receptivity and um, an experience of wonder and curiosity, it's it's the contrast that I think is part of what makes reality. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I've come to understand. No, not everybody's going on this this self healing journey, and that's entirely okay. It's not even a evaluation, right? Meaning, like it's not like the ones who do go are are good and brave and strong and the ones who don't are, you know, plebeians or something. It's, it's simply that we're not all here to do this inner work. We're not all here to do the same work. And some of us may be here, you know, depending on your belief system, we might have even contracted, you know, to, to interact with some folks who are pretending to be asleep to help us understand what it feels like to be awake and by contrast, you know, as individuals.
0: Hmm. I like that. <laughs> I like yeah, that a It's lot. a little
1: out there, but...
0: <laughs> For me, what I got from that is it seems like everything is in perfect balance.
1: Yes. And that is, um, as an activist, particularly, especially because of how much of activism comes from the space of woundedness, right? Like the need to conquer the perceived aggressive authority out there, right? For many of us from a pretty a pretty painful place of needing to control and needing reality to be a certain way in order for us to, to feel safe. So it's been a long journey for me to get to the place where I actually think everything is as it should be. It's already as it should be. Um, because that's like a trope, right? Like it's a spiritual trope. And I think until you have a lived, a felt experience of that being the only peaceful orientation towards life, it's the only way that, that one can capture peace in any given moment, but also in a lifespan is to allow things, you know, allow reality to, to simply be what it is. Otherwise you are in constant warfare. And not only is that psychic torture, but it's, there's actually a biological signature to that, that we call disease, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a lose, it's a lose, lose uh, warfare game.
0: Yeah. I had this, uh, very interesting experience just a couple of nights ago. Um, my youngest daughter, Indy, was uh, she's like, oh, "I'm getting sick. I could feel runny nose, this, that, the other." And so, I dosed her up on different different medicines or you know, herbal medicines. And as you know, I've been studying cannabis for the last year, and we have um, some CBD oil. I said, oh, "Would you like to have a drop of CBD oil?" And she's like, "No, no, no, I don't want any of that." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I said, okay, how comes?" She's "Oh, you know, that's just weird stuff, Dad." <laughs> I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I was offended. I was like, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm trying to look after you. Why don't yeah. you
1: trust me? Yeah. You
0: know, and, I, I, and it really hit me hard. I'm like, wow. Yeah. You yeah. Know, even my, even my own children don't believe what I'm, what this, and I've just spent a year of my life working. I was trying yes. to understand what this plan can do. And I'm like, you know, it may, it could be of benefit for you tonight. And, um, but yeah, it was a really interesting thing, and I I, I felt rejected. I was like, oh, you know. And it took me it took me out of my out of my balance, so to speak, for a minute. I was like, what is this about, Pete? Why why has this triggered you so much?
1: But um, see, that's it. I mean, that you ask that question is is the hallmark of of the adult consciousness. I mean, that's I tell a very similar story in in the parenting section of the book. You know, where my My daughter uh, was going to sleep one night after we had moved here to Miami and, and the Herculean nature of this move. I mean, what this represented for me, it was really almost me saving my own life, saving my soul, you know, to, to move to Miami from, from the Northeast. And it it was terrifying and very, very difficult on so many levels. And, uh, you know, I get them set up in this beautiful school and we're just embraced by the community. And, and she, a couple months in, she's crying herself to sleep, right? She starts crying while we're trying to go to sleep. And she starts saying, you didn't ask, she's seven actually she was six at the time. She said, you didn't ask me if it was okay to move here and I don't want to be here. I hate it here and I hate school and I hate all my friends and I just want to go back. Mm. And meanwhile, inside of me, what came up? I mean, it, it was all I could do to not jump out of bed and start screaming, like, how dare you? You, The ingratitude, do you have any idea what I've had to go through to set this up and all this martyr victim story, (laughs) right? And it was, and I felt like the hot rage inside of me. And of course, because of the commitment, you know, to to this kind of work, I know, as you knew in that moment, that actually all that she needed from me as her mother, because remember, I'm the adult in the room, is to tend to my child self, right? To tend to that part of me that was having a tantrum way worse than hers, hmm. right? And to simply allow her to experience her emotion because it's not ever about the overt content when, it, when you get into that power struggle and you want to defend yourself as a parent. And so all I did, you know, was put my hand on her back and trust me, that was very difficult to do. And I said two words, that's all I allowed myself. I said, it's hard. That's literally all I said. Mm. She got up, she blew her nose. She like made a joke about how she sounded like an elephant, got back in bed and went to sleep. So she now has a lived experience of how painful sadness can alchemize into serenity in a matter of minutes. If mm. it is simply allowed to exist and better is is validated by a loving you know person nearby. And then I had the lived experience that I can survive her disappointment and her perhaps mistrust and her rejection of me in a moment, right? And so that adultification, that self-parenting that we perhaps are being called to do is really the best and most powerful gift that we can give our children. It's not the guidance and direction and advice and respect your elders kind of stuff that perhaps served in generations before us that really doesn't have a place in our, our contemporary consciousness, I don't think.
0: Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that as well, what you were talking about then, about that these these things may have served us in the past. Yeah. And through my experience in different modalities that I s- seek out, it's, it's okay to feel something at some particular point in time because it was your coping mechanism for that experience. That's right. But fast forward, Five minutes in your case (laughs) with your with your daughter, or fast forward twenty years or fifty years, or or I know people in their in the their latter years that have never let go of that emotional response or cocoon that they've created for themselves. That that served you then, but maybe it doesn't serve you anymore. You've you've outgrown it, or it's time to time to forgive that part. and And how do you identify? what these emotions are from those childhoods or from these experiences and how do you let go of that
1: mm. so i don't think it's as much letting go of them as recognizing that we can grow our emotional capacity and the kind of fortitude and strength that allows the emotions to simply exist when they do and allows for the cultivation of what I call an adult consciousness, but a witness consciousness, a watching eye, like the one that you had in that moment saying, What is this about, Pete? You know? And that is really all that the commitment is. It's just that we, you and I, are now in a zeitgeist where we're all recognizing that the buck stops here. I mean, all of us, meaning you, me, and our our cohort. You know, we we are recognizing that the buck stops with us, and that we are not going to hand down these tired patterns that are perhaps at the root of so much pain, you know, and 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 misalignment, you know, on so many levels, um, socioculturally and planetary, et cetera. So we're we're seeing that. This is a universal experience and we can choose to respond differently to it. But I think the reason that maybe our parents um, or some, some of those in, in their older generations might not be up for the task is because they don't have the community consciousness to tap into. It's non-normative for them to consider doing this work. And this is terrifying work. It's terrifying work because these emotions, whether it's rage or shame or grief or fear, they are so threatening that we literally imagine that they could kill us. I mean, why else do you think that there are, you know, uh, one in four women of reproductive age on, on psych meds? I mean, they are, they're extremely terrifying, menacing, and, and seemingly dangerous. So you need a collective. You need a community. And that's why I talk about how it's like this paradox of it being an inside job that only you can do for yourself. There is no guru out there that can do this work for you. You have to do it, right? And you get to do it in the company of like minds who will hold out a hand, hold, you know, look at you with many pairs of eyes that can see your essential essence um, as love and reflect that back to you at times when you can't connect to that strength, right? And so that's why I think we're gathering um, almost like. In these different communities, uh, almost like cells finding their different tissues and organs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we're kind of figuring out like, oh, you're a liver cell, me too. And and we're coming together to make this meta organism, you know, because folks like, you know, our parents or, or the dominant orthodoxy of allopathic medicine or or whatever it is that might um, seem at odds, maybe it's, they're just like another tissue or they're just another organ in the, in the meta system. And so I I do believe, and I've been shown that the community element is what allows us to grow that strength. It's these bonds with people who are also doing the work so that, you know, when my, when I struggle in my life um, or I feel afraid, my friends don't, they don't try to fix it for me. they don't give me advice. They just sit there and say something like like a, a midwife who's knitting in the corner you know of a of a laboring woman's room you know would say like, "Keep going, you're doing this it's something that your courage is incredible, you know like that's the way we show up for each other now It's a different thing than needing the badness to go away. It's an understanding that the badness is within and it longs for." loving attention. That's it. (laughs) That's literally it. And it's almost never about the circumstances. So why bother, you know, trying to fix the circumstances? That's almost, it's almost uh, thwarting an opportunity to alchemize and transform these emotions that probably have been stored in the body for decades.
0: Mm, One of my dear friends and one of my mentors and therapists, it's interesting because we do a lot of emotional work together. Uh, He works on myself, my family, uh, closest friends, And one thing he always says, which I always find very amusing, is it's never what you think it is. Yes, yes. (laughs) And it's like, fuck, how does anybody actually work this stuff out if they don't know what it is? And obviously, he has a a, a great technique for doing this. But, you know, I feel very privileged that. I'm one of the the few people that actually get to experience a one on one session with somebody like this and and often yeah. i'm I'm so grateful for it, but then on the other hand I'm like how how the hell does the, the the world get to experience this and to understand how these things work and how even in your wildest dreams, what you think your issue is about this problem it's it's actually so far removed from it and sometimes so glaringly in your face <laughs> yes. that you've never seen it it's like it's 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 written on your face but you can't see it until you point it out to yourself so and obviously this is why you've written your book that you go through the stages of this yeah and I'm gonna throw in something here you you t- title this book own yourself so. How do we own ourselves and know ourselves when we are uh, this v- nearly like a labyrinth? <laughs> so, yes. To get, oh, yes. To, to get to the core issues. And, and the other thing that he mentioned to me is that he said, Pete, you could come in here every day for the rest of your life and we would find something to work on if, if you chose to. And that's not the key to living either. Right.
1: Right. Because, you know, certainly in the, you know, as well as I do in the health and wellness territory, but also in the sort of spiritual evolution territory, there can be this sort of attachment to a certain outcome. Right. And, and that attachment to a certain outcome creates a linear path and a valuation system where you're either being a good spiritualist or a bad one you know, a good health nut or, or you're falling off the wagon. And any time we're living in that dualism where there is good or bad, right and wrong, we are still at war. We're still at war with ourselves. And we're just putting a different costume on it. And trust me, because I, I recognize that in the early days of my activism, I brought all of my allopathic thinking to holistic medicine and functional medicine, you know, in the early days. Um, was very well suited to that right because you could see in black and white in all of these tests all the things that are wrong with you and it's supplements instead of meds but there 's still this I- idea of like winning winning the 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 healthy body you know mm-hmm. at the end of the game or something and so i I think the practice right so yeah, you could work with your healer every day and trust me I mean I practically employed a village of healers for like years of my life but in the end it's a daily practice. The yoga is the lived life, right? And and the daily practice is watching for those signature triggers. So I know um, that my triggers are, are, you know, the defense that I recognize is like my heart starts racing, my chest gets tight, and I have this like hot flash almost that comes up my neck into my head. And I feel the urgent need to communicate usually by email or text about My perspective, Hmm. (laughs) right? So that's my signature because my defensive structure is my intellect and it keeps me from feeling fear of abandonment or rejection, right? Or unworthiness or unlovable, you know, uh, my unlovable core. It keeps me from any awareness of that to the extent that often I don't feel any emotions when I'm most triggered, but now I know that signature, right? But I do believe to answer your question, in in an order of operations, because I have this kind of like logical mind. So I've watched, you know, hundreds, if not thousands in my online program of these you know, transformational processes and they're, they're rather archetypal. You know, we, we go through similar spaces, the space of confusion and loss of identity, the space of, of resistance after there has been that shedding where you kind of want to crawl back up into the uterus, but you're already very close to the vaginal opening, you know, so (laughs) so there's only one way out. And then of course these, this, this development of the, the psychic practice of orienting towards oneself with compassion and, and curiosity, which goes on and on and on. But, I found that, you know, in the way I structured the book was in three parts. Um, so the first part is, is the get real part. And, and that's arguably, um, a non-negotiable foundation, which is what is the story we're telling ourselves about what's going on in the world today? because you are a part of that story you play a part a very significant part the one that only you can play and so what is what is going on and i offer you know one perspective which is around the ways in which we have not made room for evolution personal initiation grief you know turmoil falling apart and the ways in which we've responded again perhaps in, in, in a way that served the collective with, uh, control force and power-based interventions, leaving us, you know, in our, often in our thirties our with, with this awareness that we're wearing a mask, you know, it, it sort of dawns on us like, wow, there's a whole lot of me that I don't like and hope nobody ever sees, including me. <laughs> so, so it's like we become aware of that, um, and often it's it's we double down, you know, on strapping that mask on when we are when we're confronted with fear, whether it's a you know divorce or death or a diagnosis, medical diagnosis. So that that foundational philosophy or um, really the, the development of an ontology, an orientation towards purposeful living is is very critical because the mindset is what is going to carry you through those tight spots um, in the journey uh, and then you know I'm extremely passionate as you know about kind of like what I call the the chopping wood carrying water mm. um, ritual of self-care the very 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 basics that you focus on with your undivided attention for a good couple of hours every day. It's your priority. Self care becomes your priority, and I have kind of a template for how that can look. Um, obviously, you know, nutritionally, in terms of contemplative practice, and then in terms of um, detox and the development of you know, sort of uh, conscious consumerism, and just generating an awareness around the the interactions that our body is having with the environment. And how that is something you can come back to anytime you're feeling pulled in a lot of directions or you're feeling scared or you're feeling overwhelmed or confused. You simply focus on the self-care and it becomes clear. I have found that personally over and over and over again. Obviously, self-care evolves in its definition. Like for me today, 10 years into my health journey, it looks like never, you know making excuses for missing my 9am dance class, you know, it has a, a bit of a different tenor that's more oriented towards pleasure and joy and sensuality than perhaps was the case when I was very focused on on physical healing, you know, reversing my Hashimoto's and, and my dietary compliance, for example. But after that, I find that there's this like liberation of energy and, you know, when your, when your brain fog is resolved and this can happen in a month, you know, your, your headaches and your PMS and your bloating and your joint pain and your low energy and all of that stabilizes because you've eliminated inflammatory foods. Um, you've removed addictive relationship to food and drink, and then you've also stabilized your autonomic nervous system through detox and, and uh, meditation, that what happens is then you get to connect, maybe for the first time, to that channel, uh, to your intuition. And you begin to have more difficulty repressing that awareness that there are certain things that are just not working. And you feel the pull towards what could be. And you don't know what it is, right? Because you can't imagine it from your place in, in, in reality. But you feel like I'm going somewhere. I'm I'm embarking, right? And so that's when you know there's a lot of psycho-emotional work around relationships and and career and interpersonal dynamics, resolving toxic relationships that that are pulling on stress <laughs> response reserves, etc. And then I find uh, so that's kind of like where psychology um, and uh, counseling and family therapy and that kind of thing can come in very powerfully. And then you know you kind of enter into the re- realm of deeper spiritual practices and that's the third part that i discuss getting free getting free and and the role of um sexuality and erotica in that the role of psychedelics the role of more advanced meditative practices like vipassana or uh, white tantric kundalini and also this posture of orienting towards your child self as the parent that you never had Hmm. that is fundamentally capable of equanimity and capable of soothing the most intense emotional torrents you know that that whip up over who knows what because all you have to do is be in a romantic relationship to know that two people can have very different triggers right and what (laughs) what sets one person off can not matter at all you know to another and and it's um it's all about these these wounds that we've never been given permission or um, told, that we can transform and, and heal.
0: Mm, I love it. I was actually watching the, the Netflix special from Bill Burr the other night, the stand-up comedian, and uh, <laughs> he was talking about himself in a relationship saying, you know, it seems like we've always got to work on me. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that, that me as a person is like that that building with the scaffolding around it, forever you know it's just I've had
1: that feeling I relate to that (laughs) it's just
0: a work in progress and the way he said it was was hilarious and I'm I'm grateful for and he's quite an, an aware guy
1: I love that. I needed something to watch. No, I mean it's so true and and I've been in um massive amounts of, of counseling and therapy and and I've been told by, you know, my family therapist who's also been a couples therapist and um uh, just played many roles in my life that, you know, mature love is allowing for for two people to be in the relationship, right? Cuz when he's the when when Bill is the project, right? <laughs> he's simultaneously perceived as the, um, you know, the aggressor, you know, to his partner. Like he's the problem, right? He's the identified problem. Um, and, And he plays the victim because he gets to complain about being the victim. So both people are experiencing the victim and the aggressor within the same dynamic, they're flip flopping around that. And most of the time we perceive ourselves as the victim, even if we are uh, (laughs) complaining about being perceived as the aggressor. So it's really the resolution of these victim stories where nobody's doing anything to you, right? Mm -hmm. You're choosing to be here in this relationship. And we both have our different narratives. And so how can we maintain connection through those different narratives, only an adult consciousness is capable of that because otherwise there's always somebody who's right and somebody who's wrong. And usually two people who think they're right and two people who think the other one is wrong. Um, and I, you know, I call that a childlike consciousness because it's very black and white and it holds the, 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 the good object within and projects the bad object without because we don't have intimacy with the sort of our bad parts, right? Like I, I can't even tell you how recent it was in my life that I became aware of my own like fear, including a fear of death. I mean, it just wasn't conscious for me. I didn't think of myself as having any fears at all. So it's not even like I knew I had them, but I wasn't talking about them. (laughs) Like I didn't even know that they were there. They were that that deep in the catacombs. So, you know, my defenses are particularly strong and adaptive in, in contemporary society, but we all have this. We all have within the, the liar, the cheater, manipulator, you know, the, the, the aggressor, we all have that. Um, and given the circumstances and given our choice to respond from that place, we can all manifest it. So how can we just begin to get, get real about that and start to align with at least some conscious command of what we are choosing to express in, in, into the world?
0: Mm. Lately, something has been, and y- you'd appreciate this and understand this, when you know certain themes start popping up for you and they become quite present in your awareness. And, and I'm going to mm gently suggest this thing or or bring up this topic. And it's about how, and and I was talking to Nick, my wife, about it the other day. It's, It's funny. When I'm asked to be a guest on a podcast, it feels like it's in their nature to bring up all my life achievements or who I am in a bio before mm. we even get stuck into it. And, and and for some reason it triggers me a little bit. And then I I was listening to a podcast that you did the other day um, with somebody and that somebody I noticed in all of the podcasts keeps bringing up their back, backstory mm. and I was sitting with a, a friend the other day and, they've just started on this journey and within two minutes they told me their life story about how their mum was, how their father was, how this was. And I was like, these stories mm-hmm. that we, we feel the need to keep telling people. Mm, and yes. and now I actually make, whenever I'm a guest on somebody, they go, well, how did you get here? I'm like, well, let's talk about now in the future, or that this was a whole evolution to get here instead of just one turning point in my life or, or these that. things. So how do you and do you with your patients, try to disconnect them from their, from their stories or their identities that they keep about themselves, whether it be that victim or the aggressor or, or being wronged because I, I, I honestly feel that there's something in this and I, I'm never sure on, on the right course of action moving forward. Not even for myself, but for, but mainly for, for when I hear these stories from people and try to, I, I, I guess, going back to the first sort of work I did in this field 25 years ago was an Anthony Robbins um, seminar and it was about breaking a pattern and that always mm-hmm. stuck out for me. So do we need to break these patterns of our self-identifying uh, stories or not.
1: Yeah. So it's so so meaningful, you know, what you're referencing, because I have a similar feeling when, when an interview starts with my, gosh, forget about the long version of my bio. And I, you know, have to sit there and listen to this, you know, who, who, who is this woman, right? This is who she is apparently in a couple of sentences. And what I reflect on is, is look at that armor I built, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, wow. Like I, my defenses are, are very effective. And I built this, this whole armor that was meant to shield me from ever having to have any contact with the parts of me that aren't credentialed or aren't bestsellers or aren't, you know, whatever, renegade physicians and blah, blah, blah. But I have those parts. So how do I, how do I make sure that those are represented too? Because otherwise I'm still playing the game of, of the idealized parts are who I am. Right. And so I think that maybe that's why it trips your wire a little bit because you feel like, well, but hold on, you know, I'm, I'm also all this other stuff. Like, do you still love me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And at least that's what, you know, kind of goes on inside me, uh, because I'm aware that my entire career, Um, apart from whatever was my destiny in terms of being called to play this role, um, my entire career has been, you know, a a large effort to protect myself um, and arm myself with the weapons of our you know, achievement-oriented society to make sure that nobody could get to me, right? And and really using my intellect to that capacity. But my patients, they don't have that kind of a bio, right? They don't have that kind of a resume because they have not developed or did not develop the kinds of defenses that were adaptive, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're defenses were a response to fear in a different way and they sought control through perhaps if you want to say unconsciously through dependency on an externalized authority um which we all have done you know to to a a greater or lesser extent at points in our life i certainly perceived allopathic medicine as being you know the the parent i could trust that's why Mm -hmm. i felt betrayed um (laughs) you know when i learned what i learned but they had a different a different narrative. And so to feature themselves as kind of the the heroine or the hero in the, the journey of their life without necessarily any clear understanding of the first there was A, then there was B, then there was C, but really just, I am, you know, owning this story and it is so fascinating. I can't get enough of it, right? Like that's a possible perspective, you know, that can be can be taken. And I, you know, I just got an email from literally just before we started talking from um, somebody who was never a patient, but she completed VitalMind Reset, my online program. And and uh, through that came off medication. Now she's, I think, 10 days from her, her final dose. And she said, I don't know if it's okay, I have it in front of me to, to mm-hmm. just read one sentence. Please. She said, What you said in your book about every patient you've had saying at some point that they don't know who they are. I said that to my psychiatrist back in April or May, but I feel so at peace with myself now, so comfortable in my own skin. I know who I am. And I think that's largely because the meds are gone and my mind is my own now, right? So for her, and there was so much more beauty in this email. I mean, it's incredible, but she had to resolve and she talks about how she had to resolve this belief system of dependency and victimhood. And it could only have happened through this self-directed approach. You know, in my online program, relative to my private practice, I'm very loosely present. It's not like the Kelly show, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm not a a pedagogue. And she actually reflected to me in this email that that was very important. It was an important part because it's community-driven it's again, the all in one kind of collective and, and singular effort. And I've found that through that alchemy of, of simply orienting towards oneself with curiosity, this new story emerges. I mean, I can't tell you that the languaging is so similar. Every testimonial that we encounter, that they, they say the, <laughs> these, these people say the same stuff and it's, it's the resolution of the victim story. So no longer is it, that they're broken and sick, right, and dependent on on a system that tells them they're broken and sick. But now they are, you know, the the, the feature event in mm-hmm. their own in their own narrative, and the um, what they were told was wrong with them is actually their gift, and that sensitivity is where their power lies, and that's why so many of the folks that I have the privilege of witnessing transform go on to become. Healers, you know, and artists, and set up nonprofits, and just—I mean, the 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 light that they radiate is profound, but it's also their darkness that they carry. It's mm. both, and it's so powerful, right? And that's why balance. you know the yeah, it's that balance, right? So it's it's quite different than a lot of spiritual communities where where there is what I call bypassing going on, where it's like. You know everything's fine, but nobody's done the shadow work. you know these individuals um, and and certainly what I advocate for is that shadow work, so that you you bring both and anyone that that is in your energy field, their dark side is is validated because you're owning yours right, and then they can be attracted to to that radiance as well
0: mm. I love it. And talking about that victim mentality, some people get stuck in that because it becomes their identity. Where you know, if they if they prolong sickness, and I'm not, I, I don't want to generalize or, or belittle any anybody's sickness out there, but for, for some, what I, I my perception is that sometimes it, they stay in that that identity because it is serving them in in some aspect.
1: It is serving them. Yes. And, and it's something like, you know, we all have it. I mean, I've never been on psychiatric medication and I, to this day can still find little victim stories where, you know, the, the narrative is very subtly, um, poor Kelly, you know, and, and I still have them. I'm still ferreting them out. So, you know, if we all have that capacity, then, and and you've, you've sort of, again, your defensive structure has led you into um, the the realm of chronic illness and, and sort of disease and potentially medication dependency, then yeah, you're going to be enculturated. We call it Stockholm syndrome. (laughs) You know, it's, it happens in prisons. It happens in, you know, all manner of authoritative structures that are fundamentally um, power grabs uh, that it feels like your new identity. It feels safe um, to, to be in this dependent position and then growing big enough to cut that cord I mean, it's, it's terrifying. So that resolution of the victim mentality happens in stages, but the biggest one is walking away from the disease label. Of course, like you're saying, you would think like, oh, well, who wouldn't want to be without a chronic disease label? But trust me, every single person I've worked with goes through that, Mm. where it feels, it feels um, like all of the ways that they smalled themselves, all of the ways they told themselves that they couldn't do certain things, now those are dissolved. So now what are you going to do with your life? And you, you are confronting your world and, and, and and God creative power, you know, like that vital force is immense. It's immense. Um, and you know, not all of us, um, have what it takes to, to channel that, but you're given an opportunity, you know, when you no longer are crouching under, That that very low ceiling of of chronic disease. Mm.
0: Last time we spoke for our first podcast, uh, uh, after we finished talking, I spoke to you about the use of psychedelics, and you said you Mm -hmm. were going to include them in your new book. And I I read about them, and it's interesting because part of your work, you've you've sort of shunned the tools of your trade, which is pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Then on the flip side, or the balance side, you're saying that psychedelics may be a one of the tools, and not the only tool, but potentially one of the tools for evolution and for understanding of self and for self therapy work. And it's interesting, I've, I'm going over to Rhythmia in about a month's time.
1: Oh, wow. Cool. For,
0: for a week, and it's part of the documentary we're filming, and I'm going to be taking a film crew with me and, and partaking. And it's interesting when you talk about the shadow work and the dark work, yes. you know, as soon as you sign up or, or, Put your hand up to do yeah. this work. You know, can you stop those those little niggling things that pop up and go, oh fuck, oh hmm. that doesn't pop up in my, <laughs> in, my no, journey. No. in my journey.
1: i are gonna see what you need to see. Yeah,
0: and yeah. and for me going on that journey is like, oh, okay. Why am I fearful about that? What does that mean? You know, even before doing that medicine work, it's the triggers are already popping up for me. Yes. But, but how do you, uh, I guess, balance that out, shunning those tools, those pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. that you were trained to administer and, and mm-hmm. prescribe? And now you're talking about uh, what I see is the, nearly the exact opposite.
1: Yes. I, um, uh, importantly, I think I am very passionate about this kind of order of operations. And that certainly does not mean that this is the only way. It's just the way I know and the way I have seen confirmed in my little uh, universe to be the most um, graceful path, I guess, mm-hmm. because you know, who was it that said, you know, too much, too soon is, is the definition of insanity, too much truth, too soon is the definition of insanity or something, you know, so, Mm. so how can we um, engage this order of operations away from a pharmaceutical mindset? And like we've been discussing the victim mindset, the dependent mindset, the childlike state of orientation towards one's own emotions. um, How can we move away from that? in a sequence that allows us to really grow and cultivate that witness consciousness, that voice that says, what's going on here, Pete, you know, like what's that about, right? That, that curious voice, the one that's always okay, no matter what literally with no carve-outs, that voice is always okay. And more than okay, actually sees the perfection um, when it's, it's impossible to see on our human level. So as you grow that, which I think literally has has nervous system level correlates, right? it requires that we engage the, the sacredness of our bodies in order to grow that spiritual capacity. This is my perspective so you first you heal the body you attend to the body in this way in this ritualized sort of you know self love and care um like like you're your own newborn right mm-hmm. so you attend to that first then you get really clear on the patterns in your life and you begin to understand like how much maybe you inherited intergenerationally versus how much you've brought to bear in your new signature defensive way and you begin to really grow that muscle, you know, that was, that was flexing that night that my daughter was crying in bed, you know, that one that says, Kelly, you're okay. You, you're strong enough to handle this feeling and it's going to transform. It's going to be okay. Right. So, and I tell myself that, right. So, so when you enter into the realm of, of plant medicine with that consciousness, well-practiced, um, which I do believe was, you know, a, a part of the indigenous consciousness that, um, you know, was the bedrock for interaction with these sacred medicines, then you really can, can leverage the, the, the work into your lived life right? Because you can go and have some mystical experience for a couple of hours and feel contact with God and the oneness and your heart exploding open and and transform all of this negativity into meaningful material. And then you can go back to your life and, and beat yourself up for being like the same old slob you were before, you know? And that's a that's a notorious experience that people have when they enter into the mystical realm in these ceremonies, and then they go back to their lived life and it's quite jarring, right? They don't know how to to bring the thread with them. And, and this is, I think, part of how that happens is because you can interact with the experience and that watching eye is the consistent thread, the, the before, during, and and after. So, you know, none of my patients ever have done psychedelics, not one. Mm. So, I, you know, so I don't believe that it has, and this is just my perspective again, like that it, I don't believe it has the, the most optimal placement, um, you know, in, in the early stages of self reclamation. Uh, I think it has potentially a, a life transforming. And I, I include an email communication from a former patient about a psychedelic experience that she had. And she had probably the most egregious, I don't know how else to say it, um, <laughs> trauma history. I mean, it's just like beyond, uh, Conceptualization of what she went through as a child of any patient I've worked with, and she was on multiple medications for multiple decades, and she successfully tapered off. And she had a lot of physiologic issues, um, autoimmune conditions, et cetera. And she, you know, had this rebirth experience. Literally, um, and she went on to, you know, naturally birth her daughter after this, and and she really, really took herself back from mm. all of that. But there were ways in which she tells me she was still telling a victim story about what happened to her, right? And it was holding her hostage. And in the, in the psychedelic realm, she was able to come into self-forgiveness right? Because around trauma, particularly incest and sexual abuse, we don't think of self-forgiveness. What? Self-forgiveness? I mean, why would you have to forgive yourself? But it's a very insidious, deep, deep layer of what can keep you tethered, not only on a neurologic level, but on a psychic level to that history. And and what she describes, I mean, I don't know if you remember reading that, but it was it was literally one of the most beautiful things I've ever read in my life. The, the hope. And beauty and love that emanated from those words you know I, I certainly did I certainly did not for her you know through my protocol she found that and and what I'm witnessing and I'm sure you would agree and your your lived evidence of that is that we you know we're all finding the medicine that we need hmm. right and whether that's you know essential oils or homeopathy or, or shamanism or Plant medicine, or or Kundalini, we're we're going to find the medicine that we need in order to really, really resolve even the deepest layers um, and bring love there. So I think for for you know it's quite a zeitgeist now that I could reference you know dozens of of studies in support of the efficacy, if that's a crazy word to even use in this realm, but it's being used, it's being used at Johns Hopkins. Um, you know, it, it means that we're, we're at a moment where many people are feeling called to this and they're finding it and they're engaging it. And so, you know, my take is just like, it could be, um, if you're feeling called, it could make a lot of sense for you to not neglect your body, right? Like don't run towards spirit as, as the savior, because you're Beginning with the body organism as sacred, I think is a very important piece of the equation. I find, you know, even as having so many yogis as as patients over the years, you know, I found like, wow, they, there are so many people who are attracted to the light in this way. And many of them identify as addicts, right? Like, I think addicts are, are fundamentally um, people who long for the light, right? And so, how can we chop wood and carry water so that you are, are strong enough to really retain that healing?
0: I'd love for you to explain the chop wood and, and carry water. I I know what it means but some people may never, never have heard the the saying before or the philosophy.
1: Yes, so it's just a Zen um conceptualization that, you know, there there are these very basic daily tasks, you know, like it might be laundry or dishes and that ultimately, you know, enlightenment if you will is finding the expansiveness of God, you know, that 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 mystical realm of of perfect love in even the mundane, right? And so, and the mundane is, is often, um, it can be very meditative, right? It can be very meditative to fold laundry or, you know, of course the chopping wood and carrying water is like a reference to olden times, so to speak, but in, in this, these everyday activities, deciding what you're going to have for breakfast or you know if you're going to sit down for a couple of minutes and breathe or what you're going to brush your teeth with, what time you're going to go to bed. In these seemingly mundane day-to-day decisions, we have the opportunity to not only send our nervous system a signal of safety on a very biological level, but we have this opportunity to come into contact with our higher self. And it's that ritualized discipline that I am a huge, huge believer in, and of course, the goal is to engage it without self-judgment, right? So, so to commit and choose, but to not use it as a self-flagellation tool, you know, because that also can can come from this idea that there are certain things that are, are that important to do.
0: You talk about achievement motivated behavior, and you just mentioned it. Then, even the even the yeah. act of self-love can from what I just heard from you saying, you know, that self-flagellation for doing yes, something yeah. well, you know, that seems to me an achievement motiv- motivated behavior. So how, how do we balance that out? And and for anybody that's never understood what that means, can you take us through that?
1: Mm. So this is going to look different for, for everyone, but there are going to be, it when you commit to self-discipline in the personal care and and healing realm. Uh it's going to come up in different ways how you as Don Miguel Ruiz Jr would say how you self-domesticate, right? Like we don't need other people to judge and shame us cuz we're already doing it. <clears throat> and right, so so how it comes up for me for example is, you know, since my mentor passed in 2015, I've had an early morning like a pre-dawn meditation practice and I have never missed a day. And there has come a time in my life, particularly since my move, where I've understood, you know, that that practice is not necessarily coming from, you know, uh, self love. <laughs> it's it's not coming from, you know, I am going to choose this because I feel that I deserve it and I will grow from it, and it's because I love myself that I'm going to choose this. Sometimes it has come from the place of, if you don't do that, then. You don't get to say that you've done it every day, and if you don't get to say that you've done it every day, then you look wishy-washy, and you're not somebody who's got got it together, hmm. right? Who's got their healing shit together, or whatever. I don't even know how to narrate the nonsense that you know this place um, expresses, <laughs> but it's um, it's something like that. And so you know, it's it's only been probably in the past year um, that on a handful of occasions, not not probably more than five, I've allowed myself to to sleep like past seven to like 7:15 or something because also once you once you get into that that diurnal rhythm, it's actually very hard to sleep past a certain hour even if you want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So but for me, that's like I need to know what comes up when I quote unquote fail in that way. What comes up inside me because what comes up is already there. It's already there. otherwise it would, nothing would come up right? So I'm giving myself the opportunity to see perhaps the self judgment that or self shaming that is already in there at the, at the, like chomping at the bit, you know? And, and so when I have that, that opportunity, I can sit with that and I can soothe that part of me. I can acknowledge it, recognize it. But I, I think this is like, I don't know, again, it's not linear, but it can be like a later practice because I am a believer that in the beginning we're all in that mode of self-flagellation already, of whipping ourselves into compliance. And so the early days of discipline can ride that energy pretty well. And that's why, you know, in my program, it's a go big or go home. It's not like an 80, 20% kind of a effort. Like you do this when you are ready, right? To do mm-hmm. it completely. And, and I think, you know, it's borrowing... That energy from you know our our lived experience as control freaks, all of us, and it's riding it in service of self liberation. But ultimately, there comes a time when it has to be transformed, and you have to really get comfortable with the parts of you that that are afraid of of failing.
0: And I guess we have to be very mindful as well as parents or guardians, or even in a relationship of any sort, about this achievement motivated behavior too.
1: Yes. And I think, um, I'm very susceptible to it in, in my relationship where, you know, I, am always saying to say like, Oh, let's go to this workshop or let's do this. Or I just bought this relationship course. And what do you think about this book? And, and, you know, he's of course, because he's the perfect compliment to my, um, my shadow material, you know, he's, he's never taken the bait. I mean, I can't even get the man to read a book. I love <laughs> like, he just, <laughs> he just won't. And that's been my best medicine because it, it has helped me to see that i can't control him and that i don't get to manipulate him i guess into you know my reality or my my perspective and so it's really helped us to just f- sink into what we already are as being already enough mm. you know as as a couple <laughs>
0: I'm gonna throw this back to the Bill Burr as well. And I'm sorry, but I think you'll like it. But there's a point, there's a point in his special where he's he's telling a joke and someone interrupts him from the audience. And it was probably the best line I've ever heard from a comedian. He said, When I speak, what comes out of my mouth gets interpreted by all your childhood bullshit and, and belief wow. patterns. Yes. And and then you hear something completely different than what I my intention was. And That's right. I was like, wow, you know, how true is that in all aspects of everything that we do? Even this conversation now, everybody will be interpreting it and being triggered by certain things, um, without our intention of doing so, so to speak. And
1: yeah, absolutely. That's why I like communicating even like words, um, you can, you can begin to see them as, you know, very, Lumbering, you know, sort of like very inexact instruments, and and that's why I found, you know, often I, I, I tell patients who are activated around, you know, once they get through the other side, and and they 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 become activists, you know, they want to change their family and their the world, and and I I often say, you know, what I've learned, which is actually it's um it's a transmission, it's almost like a sound current or an energy wave, um that is is really being transmitted on a soul level between people because what happens in the mind, um, and, 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 you know, conversationally, it's like, again, it's so true. It's so subjected to those filters. We're never sharing a reality. Never. Not with your most intimate partner. Are you sharing a reality? You will never, ever come into a shared perspective, even if you think you agree you know, so so how can we interact in other ways? And and that's why I found sometimes you know I'll listen to a podcast or an audiobook and I'll just let it kind of come in the top of my head, you know, like through my crown chakra or something, like just to sort of see how it feels in my body almost, rather than to get caught up in the in the words for that reason.
0: Mm. Thank you so much. Last question, and we haven't gone really anywhere uh, controversial in anything that we've spoken about today. <laughs> but and um, I'd that was my intention. But there is one thing that I, I, I do want to bring up, and I think you're probably the most qualified to speak about this. Is that you know the censorship of this information? I mean, mm-hmm. you're a best-selling author. People can find you if they like. They can enrol to do your course, but. What I'm hearing and what I'm feeling, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm generating this myself, is that for some reason people in our space, it's getting harder and harder for the message to get out there. Yes. Is it a? Is it just my imagination? What is happening mm-hmm. here?
1: <laughs> no, it's definitely not just your imagination, um yeah, on June third uh, many of us uh, i think there's probably like fifty or so my last count uh in the in the holistic health space, but then other other seemingly totally unrelated spaces like you know right wing bloggers, et cetera, found ourselves washed off of 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 Google searches, right, so what that means is that whereas if you were to put in gut brain or, you know, natural, you know, depression treatment, I might have been a first page result. Like after many years of writing blogs that seem to answer questions, I mean, I've literally written hundreds of blogs to answer questions that people are actually organically asking, Mm. right? And so that has brought me through a process called SEO onto first page results, just as a part of the, the algorithm and... And now the only way you can find me literally on um, Google is if you put in my name, right? But normally if you're searching for an answer, you don't already know the person who's going to help you find it necessarily, right? So Mm. so you have just the, the open question. And so what happened on June 3rd was there was an algorithm update that you know you could argue was not intentionally um, implemented to marginalize natural health supporters, except that there's some inconvenient whistleblower footage that makes very clear that it, it was very much intentional, and that the higher ups at Google seem to have a perspective on what is is right for humanity right and so so there have been decisions about you know what represents whether it's you know sort of equal opportunity or gender neutrality or you know the the paradigm of conventional medicine and that includes you know vaccination programs and and all the rest that that is what should be prioritized, and these fringe searches need to be deprioritized. And so it's a it's a weighted algorithm with that agenda. And I I can see that it has you know potentially good intentions, as you know as did <laughs> you know Nazi um, Germans, perhaps you know like when whenever we think that we know what's right for the collective, hmm. or even for any given other person. We are entering into a, a very slippery realm um, that ends in fascism. It ends in totalitarianism, and you know we don't have to go too far into history to know that book burning and and censorship um, is a disservice to the to the collective because it's only a matter of time before it it expands to include something that you might care about, even if you're not a natural health enthusiast. So you know it was um it was again an opportunity for me to uh, practice what I preach, you know, which is to recruit that witness consciousness that says it's all the way it's supposed to be. Right. And if I need the higher ups at Google, right. Or Bill Gates or whomever, if I need them to be a certain way in order for me to feel okay in the world, then I've taken the bait of warfare. (laughs) Right. And so I, I, I will not do that. And I will see that they are coming from a perspective that makes sense to them. And I am going to put my energy towards generating a solution. And so, you know, a lot of us, are, we don't have a solution yet, but a lot of us are focused on, on iterating the new Facebook, on, on iterating the new YouTube and on um, identifying search engines like DuckDuckGo, for example, um, that have a different um, approach to algorithmic censorship. And so I I have to believe that it's, it's about time that something new and powerful grows from a lot of the seeming control-based tactics of, of current social media um, ownership and, um, and Google. And, you know, the story I told my daughter, who's 10, I said, you know, it's kind of like with Google and what's happening, you know, with mama's site and other, other sites sayers, uh, what's, I said, it's kind of like, just an awareness issue. Because if people know that Google is up to this, then they can be more circumspect when they get a results page, right? Um, mm. But I said, it's kind of like, if you're going to the library and you think you're just at a normal library and it's going to have all the books that you know it can have and you're going to search around for the ones that you want. But instead what's happening is you're going to this library and the librarian has put only her favorite books on the shelves, mm-hmm. but she didn't tell you that. Right. And so you're, you're looking around the library and you, and you're choosing from her books, but you don't realize that there's so many other books you could, you could choose from if you'd only known that this was, you know, um, that they were being like left out then, that's what's happening. So you might not want to go to that library if you know you're only going to find that librarian's favorite books. And so that's kind of like you know, how I see where we're at, that there's still a choice. Um, there's always been a choice. I haven't come to a situation or scenario yet, even in the health activism realm, where there isn't some degree of choice that we are retaining to, to grow a new reality and, and to exercise our will outside of the, the control-based paradigm. Mm,
0: I love it and thank you for, for for releasing another book for that library and uh, and as you and I both know it's it's this accumulation or, or um, connection between people with different views out there that have that shape who we are. you know I, I remember walking through your house and seeing all your books there yes. and you know and just just looking at the titles. You know, it helped me. I, I guess you know, there's so much wisdom in all of those books that mm-hmm. help help shape who you are and your message, it just oh, is, yes. you know, and, and it's sort of nearly like a, a little bit of a, a hobby of mine. Whenever <laughs> I go to anybody's house, I'm like, what are they reading? What did they read to become who they are? You know, and it, even though the books are just one part of it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's nearly like, uh, I love it. You know, I'm just curious by nature. It's, so. oh, it's
1: been a huge <laughs> part of my, I mean, all of my friends know that when I get into a book, it's, it's, you know, potentially the case that my life is going to change, you know, because my, my entire process has been paved by the right book at the right moment. And my openness to receiving, like you said, this, this wisdom and, uh, now I'm a huge, huge believer. And and that's of course why I've, I've dedicated, you know, my, my time and energy to writing books because I am a bibliophile and I want to offer others that experience of, of real validation of something they know to be true, but maybe weren't in a position to articulate.
0: Mm. And with that, Kelly, I just want to say thank you so much once again for sharing your time, sharing your energy, sharing your love. And um, we all love you and looking forward to when you come back to Australia again. And all the best in... Being you, <laughs> not that you need any help, but oh I do. I do.
1: <laughs> Trust me. No, it's always always such a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much for your support. I mean, you can see how much how much it means in this in this current climate. It's very important.
0: Own yourself. Thank you so much, Kelly. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.